0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Daniel Paris. I'm delighted to have as my uh, guest today, Mikhail Shishkin. He is the author of the just-published My Russia, War or Peace, Out from River Run Press. That's an imprint of Hachette. The book was uh, originally published in German by uh, Random House. Uh, Misha is the author of a n- number of major works of of Russian fiction, uh, notably "Maiden Hair and The Calligraphy Lesson. Uh, Misha, thank you so much for agreeing to uh, for agreeing to be on the show.
1: I'm happy to be here. Hello to everybody.
0: You are a well known, particularly in in Russian Europe. You write in German. You live in Switzerland. You're a well known author of of works of fiction, won a number of of Russian literary prizes over your career. My Russia War Peace, however, is really a work of political culture. It's also autobiography, a part I found very interesting. But it's really a work of Russian political culture, why the shift from what you had been writing, and I I think the answer's fairly obvious given what's going on in Russia, but describe the shift that made you want to uh, address issues of Russian political culture in the direct fashion that that you have in this book.
1: Look, all my life long, I had a very firm, very solid ground under my feet, and it was Russian culture. Now it's blown away, it's just blown away. Now we have to make new definition to all these words. What is Russian? What is Russia? What is Russian culture? You see, this war made my language just to the language of murderers, to the language of aggression. Um, You see, all the last years I tried to read books written by so called Russian experts, explaining to the Western readers what is Russia, why we should make bridges to Russia, and so on. So the so called Russian Versteher, yeah, in German, <laughs> Putin Versteher, understanding. And you see, the people didn't understand Russia at all, and thanks to these people, we are now in this tragedy we are now in this war i tried to organize boycott here in switzerland of the olympic games i tried to organize boycott of the soccer world uh, championship in russia but who listens to writers and so it was very important for me to explain to the western readers what is russia about why we are in this war and so I made this book. It is actually a collection of essays. And I explain Russia through the Russian history and through the family history. And the book was published in German 2019, you see. And the last two uh, chapters in German, Futur Futur zwei, so future one, future two, Uh, In these two last chapters, I described the future. What would happen. And now we are totally in this future. Totally. Everything goes, unfortunately, after my scenario. And so this book has been translated now into, I don't know into how many languages, including Japanese. And I didn't change a word. I just wrote the introduction, the foreword, And afterward, and uh, you asked why I don't write novels you see the literature is loser when the war starts all books I wrote all my novels all novels which were written by my colleagues in the last 20-30 years could they stop this tragedy no you see when the war starts culture is just loser the same thing was with the great German literature before the Nazi came to the power yeah it was great literature and and what could the great german literature stop auschwitz could the great russian literature stop gulag so it's you see really difficult it it hurts it, it hurts it hurts to be a russian writer and uh, now actually my idea my message my my mission is just to give to Russian language, to give to the Russian literature, to Russian culture, the dignity. Because in these two last years of this horrible war, Russia culture, Russian language lost its dignity. But how? What, what can I do? I just can say, speak and write, nothing more. And uh, I will not... Stop doing this, because the only possibility for me to return dignity to Russian language, to Russian culture, is to fight against our common enemy. Our common enemy is the Russian regime, and so the only possibility to this returning of dignity is the total victory of Ukraine against Russia now. And so I tried to explain to people here in Switzerland in Europe that the only way the West can restore restore what was before is to give as much weapons, as many weapons as, as possible to Ukraine. And not everybody understands this, you see. A lot of German intellectuals, maybe you remember. Last year, signed the huge petition to the German government. Yeah, no, Waffenlieferungen uh, an die Ukraine, nur Friedensverhandlungen, also peace negotiations. No uh, weapon deliveries to, to Ukraine, and so I, I have to uh, to speak to explain to to people here why why we should give weapon to Ukraine. Why there could be no peace negotiations with Putin's regime?
0: So let's let, let's shift a little to the specific elements of the book. I mean, kind of you, you jump to the end, which is important. I mean, you have a line towards the end of the book: "Hate, hate is the disease; culture is the cure." You and you you make a passionate plea for exactly what you've just said that that uh, you know a writer. Uh, the obligation of a writer is to try to kind of uphold those universal values that you identify in Russian culture. But at the same time, you, you have gone out of your way to write a detailed history, maybe not an academic history, but a popular history, Russia, how it emerged on the global stage, and its political culture, as opposed to its artistic culture. And that political culture, I, th- uh, one I'm familiar with, but many of our leaders readers may not be, is is you know is very very distinct from the Western paradigm, uh, what we call for for better for worse and often flawed Western liberalism. But can you go into a, a kind of your description? A, lot, a number of your chapters describe this: the history of Russia emerging, why it has the kind of authoritarian to use lack of a uh, for one word description. Uh, authoritarian political culture and why it has been clashing in effect with the West for 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 centuries.
1: Look, we have now the same political system in Russia as 1,000 years ago when it was just the part, the Ulus of the Golden Horde.
0: Let's use that word because that's just for readers, and the book is very interesting and very well written, but you do use the term Ulus, U-L-U-S, frequently it's kind of uh, Mikhail Shishkin's description core one-word description of, of Muscovite and Russian political culture what is the ulus, and, and what is the origin of that term
1: yeah, it is just the part of the Mongolian Golden Horde a state and the political system is very simple it is a pyramid on the top of this pyramid is Khan or Tsar yeah and uh, all this pyramid are just the slaves the only idea of the state, yeah, of the system is the power and fighting for the power. And now we have absolutely the same situation. And you see, the main Russian questions were or used to be uh, the titles of the uh, famous <laughs> novels of the Russian literature of the 19th century. Who is to blame? What is to be done? To deal, but these main cursed eternal Russian questions were just for the reading public, and for 150 million of people of peasants who could not read. The main Russian question was and is and will be, unfortunately, is the Tsar real, or fake, or false. Because if the Tsar is real, there will be order, if the Tsar is fake, an imposter, so there will be anarchy and chaos. And the only possibility to prove, is the Tsar real or not, is the victory. For example, Stalin, yeah, he could kill the population with, by, by billions, yeah, but he had a great victory, and he is a real Tsar, beloved till now. The so beloved in the West, Gorbachev, lost the Afghan war, lost the Cold War against the West. He is despised, (laughs) people hate him till now, you see? And so that is how Russia works. Uh, Yeltsin realized that all his ideas with introducing democracy into Russia to make a Western paradise in Russia collapsed that was nothing yeah and so he lost the power not to lose the power yeah he needed the war a victory his generals told him we will take grozny in 3 hours you, you know the first chechen war was lost yeah and people hated uh, him he was a fake tsar so it means the next tsar to achieve a victory. It is the only legitimation uh, of the power in Russia, not any elections.
0: So let's let's pause there just for a moment, just to clarify for a lot of Western readers, where Western political culture is based on some sort of presumed uh social contract involving meeting uh, both the representation of some degree or another and meeting needs of uh uh, individual opportunity, I, and again, that's a that's a very uh, 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 simplistic view and, and and probably wrong. But in contrast, Russian political culture, to the extent you can be simplified, puts a real premium on security and stability, and the Russians tend to view the West as chaotic. And the Westerners tend to view Russia as as uh,
1: no 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 the West is not chaotic the West is the enemy because Russia is always in the uh, war at war against the whole world and the uh, NATO then uh, it, uh, the West uh, just want to destroy Russia so they are enemies they are not chaotic it's something different yeah and you see from the very beginning Putin realized he. Uh, to to be legitimized, Tsar he had to achieve a victory. And you remember how he started his uh, ruling, yeah, <clears throat> by the explosions, yeah, in, in Moscow, just dwelling houses. A lot a lot of Muscovites were killed, yeah. And so uh, it was, uh, it helped him to start the second Chechen war. It was pure genocide. And so he became the Tsar. And you remember 2014, yeah, he had a great victory. Yeah, Krimnash, Krimnash, Crimea is ours. People were euphoric, people were happy in Russia. Yeah, yeah. For again, again, for those
0: maybe not following as closely along, uh, Putin uh, comes to power and begins kind of a slow recreation, an effort to recreate. Uh, The Soviet Union or Russian Empire 2008 manages to invade part of uh, Georgia. And then in 2014, although we are mostly uh, focused on the war that began in 2022, uh, Russia did occupy successfully uh, Crimea in 2014 and established uh, two uh, uh, beachheads, shall we call them, in eastern Ukraine in in, uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. Uh, provinces of Ukraine in 2014. That is the basis for the invasion in 2022, but this war, in effect, has been going on, direct war has been going on since 2014.
1: Absolutely. And he needed a victory again and again to prove that he is a real Tsar. And so his generals told him, we will take Kiev in three days. (laughs) You see, every dictator loses the connection with the reality because he gets only the information he, he wants to get. And so if Putin had known what would happen after the invasion, he would never have started this war, of course, but but he did. Now we are in this situation where he is a false star. There is no victory, and for everybody in Russia, it is clear it is a weak false star, and we... Uh, uh, need a real Tsar now and so when Prigozhin went to Moscow it it was a fantastic day you see, all the population was uh, just following how many kilometers were left for Prigozhin uh, to, to Moscow 400 kilometers, 300 200 kilometers and for the population it was clear, Prigozhin is the real Tsar, he has the power, he will win. So it was a huge disappointment of the population that Prigozhin just, just disappeared yeah, before his victory. But anyway, Putin is now a false star, and it's just a matter of time when the fighting for the power will start again, and we have now again the so-called smuta time you see it was uh, at the uh, beginning troubles of the 70th uh, century when there were different imposters and no real tsar. so Russia has now really difficult time you see this year I really realized what Kazimir Malevich meant with his black square because an artist has the feeling for the future what was in his future and his future was First World War, the bloodiest Civil War, and Gulag. So now Russia is this black square again. So Kazimir
0: Malevich is a, a futurist uh, artist at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, so just
1: some context there for, for our listeners. Not
0: all of them are as cultured as Mikhail Shishkin, our
1: guest today. I don't, I, I don't believe you that your listeners don't know Kazimir Malevich and the black square. I don't believe you. <laughs>
0: Misha, let's, let's talk a little bit about how I thought what was very interesting I've known you for, for almost 40 years, uh, but I learned a great deal about you in this book. You managed to weave into this book of Russian political culture, your own family's history and its own political culture, your relationship with your parents, their beliefs, how difficult their lives were, uh, Your you, your brother. There are some really poignant tales in the book, but uh, that, that must have been also a conscious decision on your part to make it part autobiography,
1: part work of political culture. You see, the history is not a book. If you write a book, you can send the end, yeah? And it will be the end of history and the end of the book, but the history continues and the family history continues. I didn't want to write about this in the book but with my brother we are now enemies he is six years older and when i was young he he was my 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 god yeah he was a poet he was 18 and i was 12 yeah and his gods became my gods and uh, even uh, uh, after that he uh, He established a wonderful publishing house in Moscow. And he published also Ukrainian writers, you know, Sergei Zhadan, Sasha Kabanov, But after 2014, we are enemies because he supported the occupation of Crimea. And for some years, we just congratulated each other on Facebook on the occasion of the birthday. Since two years, yeah, so since this invasion, no congratulations, no, 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 birds. It, it, it hurts. You see, it's a real civil war now. Our grandfather, Georgi, during the civil war, he was 18, yeah, he was fighting with the Reds against the whites. Yeah. But here, our audience, the Russian Civil War, uh, 1918 to 1921. Um, but his older brother, Simon, he was fighting for the whites against the reds. So if they would <laughs> meet, yeah, if they uh, would have met on the battlefield, they would, you see, shoot each other. Now my brother and me, we, we are old guys. <laughs> we, we cannot go with Kalashnikos on the battlefield but we are on the different side of the front line. It's a tragedy for the family. It's a tragedy for the how many families can you imagine have the same difficult situation now in Russia? It's the tragedy for the country, and it is just the beginning. And
0: you you can tell at least a little bit about your grandfather who uh, ended up, Dying during World War II uh, on the Karelian Front, uh, the Finnish Front.
1: Uh, it was the brother of my father, so my uncle. Yeah, and uh, I remember my the picture, the picture of two young boys, my father and his brother Boris. Yeah, and uh, and the room of the house of my grandmother. And I remember she she took this picture and she she kissed it, and she she she, she was crying, Boris, because he died he uh, at the at the beginning of the war, the Second World War. But when I was presenting the Norwegian translation of my book in Tromsø, it's in the north northern part of Norway, there was a. A historical museum an exhibition about Russian uh, prisoners of war during the Second World War and uh, I just uh, asked my translator Marit to ask the archives maybe maybe he, my uncle was not dead but maybe he was also prisoner of war And at once, in in a week, I got the information that he was a prisoner of war in uh, Karelia, in Finland, and then he was killed in the labor camp, in the German labor camp. And my father and his brother and my grandmother, his mom, yeah, they lived all their life long without knowing, without knowing anything. And the most interesting thing, the most (laughs) horrible thing is that this information, all these papers from the uh, German army archives after the war, they were situated in Moscow. So it means the Russian state, yeah? The Russian state just misused people who were fighting were defending the Soviet regime, yeah? But, but for them, they were just nothing. They, they didn't even uh, t- tell them the truth. You see, my father, with 18, he went to take revenge uh, on his elder brother, and he was sure that he is defending his home country, his beloved home country, against the Germans. But he was defending the Soviet... The Stalin regime who killed his father, my grandfather, who, who died in Gulag, and all his life long, he was sure, he was proud of it. Yes, we liberated Europe from fascists, but it was impossible for him to accept that they brought to these liberated nations another fascism, another fascist, that they were fascists too. For him, it was absolutely impossible. Now, the same thing. How can you explain to all these people in Russia supporting this war that they are fascists? They think they defend their home country against fascists from Ukraine, from from the NATO. You see, one year ago the whole uh, world demonstrating on the streets against the war. Uh, Nobody could understand why there are no mass protests in Russia. There were just uh, several people who went to protest, and they were all arrested, they are all in prison now. And the explanation was the fear. You see, it is the Russian traditional uh, strategy strategy of survival, keeping silent. Pushkin formulated it in the last sentence of his historical drama Boris Godunov. Narod bezmostovit, people keep silent. And we have seen one year ago, people kept silent. But in September and October, there was mobilization. And we have seen how hundreds of thousands of people went to the war obediently to kill Ukrainians, to be killed. It's, it is not fear. It is not strategy of survival. something more deeper, something more horrible. You see, people live mentally... In the past, they identified themselves with their tribe. Our tribe is always good. Other tribes are our enemies. They want to kill us, to de- destroy us. Yeah. So the only idea of the population is to defend the home country, beloved mother, f- beloved fatherland in this un- uh, <laughs> never-ending war against the cold world. And every dictator, of course, misuses this wonderful feeling of love to their fatherland. Yeah, And people think they are defending Russia, Russian culture, Russian language. Uh, they are defending Pushkin and Tchaikovsky. How can you explain to these people that they are fascists? That the main enemy of Russian culture is the Russian state? Don't mix up, please, the culture and the state. Because the state, this pyramid of slaves fighting for the Khan, for the... This pyramid doesn't need the culture at all. Did Stalin need Shostakovich? No, he hated him. He would be happy if Shostakovich would die in the concentration camp. But Stalin had America. In America, the so uh, after the war, yeah, the music by Shostakovich was forbidden. But in America, they had the Congress for Peace, and somebody <laughs> and Stalin had to send somebody to to this Congress to America, and so that is why he needed Shostakovich. Shostakovich went to America to represent Stalin regime as a human face of regime. You see, now uh, the, the same story, uh, the, the the culture that people of culture they just emigrate because in Russia if you stay now in Russia you have to keep silent or you have to sing patriotic song or you have to emigrate yeah this system doesn't need culture at all yeah Uh, the system needs people keeping silent and that is why the only thing which could be you see opposed to the silence is the word the culture, that, that is why the word is in Russia more than the word. The poet is more than a poet because it is the only possibility to, to to fight this system.
0: You don't really address this in the book, but I think it's part of this experience which you're describing now is over the last several centuries and in the last couple of decades, uh, in particular, the emigration to the West of many figures not just associated with the war, but you know whether it's Shishkin or Khodorkovsky or Kasparov, or all the way back to Alexander Gintzin in 1840s London. Uh, there is this natural tendency among intellectuals that uh, under the that Tsarist regime and an oppressive regime, the word is is best produced outside outside of Russia. And so there's this long tradition of Russian intellectuals operating uh, outside of Russia. And it seems to be part of part of the tragedy uh, of of Russia is this in, tradition of emigration
1: as well. I, I would be happy to return to Russia, but there is no Russia to return. You see, last time I was in Moscow, it was in October two thousand fourteen. The the war was already. You see, we had the war, a lot of dead people, and. During my readings in the West and Switzerland and Germany and France, everybody was asking, What is happening? We have now the war in the 21st century in the middle of Europe. How is it possible? In October, I went to Krasnoyarsk to the book fair. Wonderful book fair, a lot of readers, a lot of publishing houses. Everywhere, new books are you see, discussed and presented. Uh, for example, a new guide. Uh, uh, through the streets of ancient Rome something like this yeah no word no word about the war silence I think I was the only one uh, who was talking about the war from the stage and this silence was so humiliating It was humiliating for for writers for readers for me for everybody and I told myself I will never go back to Russia now because I don't want to be again in this humiliation. Yeah, So I would be happy to return to Russia. But there is no Russia to return. There is a country full of people who support the war. You see, I remember 2011. I spent the year in Russia. It was the so-called White Snow Revolution. Thousands of, of wonderful young people people on Prospect Sakharova protesting against the Putin's regime yeah but what could the peaceful demonstrators do against the violence yeah so and uh, where are my questions where are all these hundred thousands of young people wonderful faces they emigrated this is also the policy the policy of the regime you see I I was (laughs) born in in uh, the prison Soviet Union it was impossible to escape and so they knew this uh, criminal dictatorship in the 90s they just learned the mistakes and they corrected the mistakes of the previous Soviet uh, system the borders are free this is an update dictatorship you remember maybe Medvedev when he was uh, president his famous words Everybody who is unhappy with us just go, just leave. Borders are open. And so, in the last 20, 30 years, millions and millions, and nobody knows, 20, 30 millions of the citizens of eventual democratic future Russia they emigrated. Yeah. They are in the United States and Israel and Germany, everywhere, but not in Russia. And this is one of the very important conditions. For establishing democracy, the critical mass of citizens of people who understand what is democracy, what is a law state, how it works, and that was the policy of Putin's regime that people who were ready to live in the democracy they had to emigrate, and they emigrated. They did. So I've I've been writing about and, and keeping track of uh, some of that
0: immigration from a demographic perspective. Uh, that Russia has taken a demographic crisis and made it into a demographic catastrophe. The population is declining uh, due to a variety of natural causes, but also between the war and recent emigration, the population's really falling off a cliff. I even go so far as to suggest that the invasion, the absorption of Belarus and the invasion of Ukraine on the margin, maybe not the first five reasons, but somewhere down the line, is to uh, capture some population that otherwise uh, is, is declining so rapidly in Russia that uh, the state could uh, fall apart its, in its entirety. I wonder how Russia's going to be able to keep uh, Kaliningrad, Konigsberg, uh, form- and I also wonder how Russia is going to be able to keep the Russian Far East that was taken from China in 1858 and 1860 by treaty when China was very weak. So the immigration is uh, maybe a feature of uh, the regime, but it's also a bug, a real problem from a demographic perspective, Russia's population is plummeting, and that's going to make uh, Russia's stability in the future much, much harder.
1: It's a demographic catastrophe in Russia, it's just the part of the whole catastrophe. Fair yeah, the, the, the Russian Federation now is as pregnant with new independent states as the late Soviet Union was, yeah? that we will never see this Russian Federation on the maps anymore. Yeah, It will happen this year or next year or in two years, but it will happen, it, it's clear. yeah. And the question is, will these independent states be able to establish democracy? I'm very… I doubt, I doubt, because, you see, there are exa- exactly some conditions for establishing democracy. First of all, it is said to uh, for, for Russia now. It is to recognize recognition of the national guilt in this war, recognition that we Russians are fascists. Will it happen? Will the next Putin or the next Putins will fall on their knees and in butcher in Kharkov and Mariupol and in, in Prague and Budapest and all countries where Russian tanks were? I'd... I have my doubts yeah who will uh, make these Nuremberg processes against the uh, uh, war criminals in, in the after German, war Germany these were occupation now <laughs> uh, American army yeah who who will uh, make this who will make this uh, Nuremberg trials against the war criminals in Russia war criminals themselves they will put themselves into prison who will organize the free elections, who, who will win these free elections, the um, eh, eh, foreign agents and national traitors like Kasparov or Kodarkovsky, or patriots like Prigozhin or Strzelkov. Yeah? Who, who, who knows? Uh, you see, I, I see just the black-black square. I see this black square in Russia, yeah.
0: Is there any... I mean, you do end the book slightly more optimistically than you end this interview. Is there, is there a path forward that is not
1: tragic? Uh, what is optimistic? I see here two optimistic things. First, I'm a Ukrainian Ukraine will win this war and the whole world will help to restore to rebuild what was demolished by russian army and ukrainians will build uh, the huge wall on, on the border between russia and ukrainian <laughs> but what will happen behind this wall makes me pessimistic the only optimistic thing it would be that the west will make shake hands with the new putins which will come to power in the new states in Russia, because these new Putins will promise to take control over the mm, (laughs) Russia nuclear weapons, (laughs) and the Russian history will bite its tail again. Still tragic, sadly.
0: Okay. The book is My Russia War or Peace. It is an important and powerful analysis of Russian political culture and history, and also Partial autobiography of uh, Mikhail Shishkin. Uh, Misha, thank you for uh, being on the show, and we will keep in touch as this as the story as the story develops, as we have for the last forty years.
1: Thank, thank you very much. Thank you.